1: Our other sponsor today is Chicksaw Nation. Now, the Chicksaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. A huge shout out to Governor Anatobe for supporting this podcast, it really means a lot. And finally, our third sponsor is 988 the oklahoma 988 mental health lifeline 988 is a direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with trained behavioral health professionals that can get all oklahomans the help that they need learn more by visiting 988 oklahoma.com that's 988 oklahoma.com and now let's get into today's episode What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma Podcast. Mike Unhur, your host, back with another episode down at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame today with part three of our nine eight eight series. Uh, talk about mental health in Oklahoma. And if you aren't aware of it, nine eight eight is the new uh, mental health number. Which there'll be a lot of information about that in the description. You can go check that out. But my guest today is Shamika Williams, who is director of children's services and interim executive director. Which is, I mean, you you're running the show right now, right? <laughs> thanks, Mike. Uh, but thanks for coming down. Excited to dive into into some of you know the, these really important topics, um, you know, around mental health, especially mm-hmm. for young kids. Yes. Um, you know, it's heartbreaking. You know, when you hear the stories of, of, the, of the young kids that are going through tough times, harming themselves. I mean, it's, it's really, really is. And I don't have kids, and like, you know, I can't imagine what it's like for mothers to go through this yes. and fathers, but even if you don't have kids, it's, it's, it shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you know you 've been around i 'm sure a lot i 've seen a lot of bad things and heard a lot of bad things, but you 're in the you 're in the business of making things better so absolutely before we get into things, I appreciate you what you do <laughs> i 'm sure everyone else does too, but before diving into the to the to what you do on a daily basis, tell me about you what 's kind of like your your Oklahoma story
0: <laughs> my oklahoma story well actually i 'm born and raised in Tulsa okay um, but by way, I am a country girl, yeah, I live in Okmulgee county where I like the the rural culture uh, of living kind of In the sense, out and in the nature, Um, I um, I like some of the um, stranger things that you would probably say as an African American woman. I like to rodeo. Yeah, I love uh, cattle. I love horses, and so um, a little different, a little different for me. So rural Oklahoma girl. By way of Oklahoma City Department of Mental Health, where I work every day, to make a difference in the lives of children
1: and families. Yeah, so Okmulgee and with the rodeo scene out there, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a rodeo scene out there. I have, a, I have friends of mine who like love the rodeo photography uh-huh. side of things mm-hmm. and, the, and like the the content side of things, and they're always kind of out there or in mm-hmm. that area, and and even you know kind of just. Anyway, that sort of region, it's big, right? Yes, and and yes. you know, it, it's not uncommon <laughs> to see people kind of trotting down the road on on, on horseback. Which, right. for me, coming from the UK, is like that's this is you know you that's America it's, right there, right? Yeah. You don't generally see that. But that
0: is And Actually, yeah. Okmogi has one of the largest African American rodeos um, in the okay. state of Oklahoma, and even probably larger than most other states. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. What got you into that stuff kind of as a young age?
0: Well, actually, I grew up in a a rodeo family. My grandfather, uncles, Mm -hmm. and cousins, they all raised livestock. And so growing up in that type of family
1: is just one of those things you just kind of follow suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you get? Do you still have time to jump on the horse and go? Oh, no, <laughs> Absolutely or do you miss it? not. No, you miss it. I'm running around the state of Oklahoma <laughs> trying to
0: save lives. So yeah, I don't have a lot of time to to ride horses anymore. But I do get an opportunity to raise uh, cattle. So I love okay. to look out and um, take a look at my girls and. And my boys and um, I call them my kids, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. I get to raise cattle, so I really enjoy that. Yeah. So, so you as for a hobby, you work a lot. Hard, you work really hard for a hobby <laughs> too, right? Yes. <laughs> when I'm home, I work extremely hard. <laughs> and now that we're in the creps of close to winter, so it's going to even be a little harder. Oh yeah, those mornings okay. are not fun not, right now. Not at all. No. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, that's uh, you're right. Like the, when people meet you, they probably think that that's the last thing they're going to hear you the, say, right?
0: Absolutely. That is the very last thing that yeah. they hear me say. Most people when they meet me they probably think i'm an urban girl
1: yeah but in oklahoma then i mean you're uh, you have some great conversations with everybody when you yes, talk about rodeo is. and small town rodeo stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and i mean you know that friday or saturday night rodeo absolutely i need to come out to one because i've only yes. seen pictures and you i feel about the scene and <laughs> and you know horses like I, they're beautiful but i'm i had a terrible experience when i was a kid that one scared me and i haven't been on one since mm-hmm. and you know i i'm not a massive human being but I'm a little taller than average and I just Putting me on a horse that, because of my size, is going to be a big horse, it just scares me. And my wife loves it; she'll uh-huh. go ride and, and wants to do more of that. Which one day is probably going to cost me a lot of money. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you should definitely come see
0: us, Mike. I tell you what, rodeos is like Friday night football in rural Oklahoma. So, okay. most of the time when you're at a rodeo, there's a lot of community folks, friends, and families, and we just yeah. have a really good time.
1: Yeah. So, so how does that then connect to your day job working for the mental like? <laughs> Is it just totally separate? Or I mean,
0: yes, it is absolutely yeah. toxic Most people don't even know um, my my rural lifestyle and things that I really enjoy doing. Um, but it's one of those things for me that you know work extremely hard during the day, like I said, really working hard to change the lives of children and families in the state of Oklahoma. But still, yet yeah, I can depress at night being out in the rural spaces and places, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just you know it's it's really not. I don't consider. My home life hard. It's it's pretty relaxing.
1: Yeah, nature is pretty relaxing. So, yeah, it gets you out of that office mentality Absolutely. of making phone calls and all, and you're just out. Mm-hmm. in the clear air mm-hmm. just you and and cow and horses yes. and just you know it d- might not be just y- just you and the animals And a lot it. of time to think right that's but it th- that is one thing i do miss about home is like just fresh air and mm-hmm. you know and i've never been a big nature person i play golf so fresh air on a golf course is my, <laughs> my, my version thing. of nature mm-hmm. uh but yeah it's uh it, it does great things for us doesn't it just to get out and you know obviously absolutely. sunlight does great things for us too but just getting outside absolutely you know is, is very important and during i think you know being locked down or whatever the the situation we've been going through the last couple of years mm-hmm. i think it's even more important now to just yes. go outside and not just come home and sit on the couch and watch netflix absolutely. all the afternoon and go for a walk so, absolutely uh, so 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 growing up then you're in the rodeo scene and you're in the you're around agriculture a lot um, academically, what is your kind of plan at that time? Do you think, I'm going to go to university? Do you have ideas to go somewhere else? <laughs> or do you want to stay in agriculture?
0: Well, I mean, it's, well, growing up, I actually was raised, born and raised in Tulsa. But my grandparents yeah. always lived in the country. That's kind of, mm-hmm. in the country, that's kind of where my agriculture nature came from and I I remember as a kid always the desire I mean I love going to the country I love going to grandma and grandpa's house uh, in the summertime and so that's kind of how I navigated towards the country but growing up in Tulsa I actually grew up in North Tulsa and I went to the Tulsa Community College and then Northeastern State University and then I graduated from the University of Oklahoma Um, in my early 20s I started my career um, at Tulsa Housing Authority where I worked Uh, in residential services for people who lived in public housing. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where I first got my love for service. And um, being a person of faith, I always believe that um, it's a gift in the sense that I can do thus said the Lord, but get paid for it in the same sense. And so it's always been a gift that I've always adored. And I always believe that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. So that's kind of how I got there. And was fortunate from Tulsa Community College to follow the human services path, which led me to the University of Oklahoma mm-hmm. uh, with a degree in social work.
1: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's. Uh, it, it, I, I love like asking that question, right? Because you get to you know you get to kind of see how someone's weaved in. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's experiences along the way that, you know, help you nudge you in a certain direction and you meet people and you change that, you know, you, you might not think that you're changing someone's life or you're just doing your job, but then you get that response from them and they, Mm -hmm. they, you know, it really means a lot when someone says to you how much you mean to them. Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've had, you know, plenty of those experiences Mm -hmm. now, Uh, but as a young adult, it's impactful, right? Mm -hmm. You think, wow, like I, I, I am. Making a difference, right? And
0: you know, it's and I and I think those types of experiences, as you mentioned, I mean, oftentimes throughout my. Uh, life, I would see people in Walmart or stores, and they would call my name, Miss Shamika. That's who I was known, Miss Shamika. And I'm looking like, okay, who was that? And they would tell me, you may not remember, but you really changed my life, or you did this for me and it helped, or yeah. I was on this path and I was able to get sober. And so I, I think those types of experiences really have changed me over time to a point
1: where. I am where I am today. Yeah. So so how long have you been in the role you're in today then? how <laughs> long, Oh, I, I guess so. How long have you been around the, the mental health space of the kids' side of things?
0: So for the kids' side of things, um, I've been a total of 18 years. Okay. I started my career three years prior to coming to the state of Oklahoma and being the director of children's services. I've been with the state 15 years, but part of that, mm-hmm. I was three years at a local community mental health center um, out in Okmulgee County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've been with the Department of Mental Health for 15 years, and so a total combined about 18 years.
1: Yeah, and it seems to be we're going through a really good change. Or Absolutely. You know, right now it seems to be... You know, this this number thing is what most people are seeing, right? They know, mm-hmm. taking away from that really long 1-800 number to 988, which mm-hmm. is obviously a no-brainer. It makes all the sense in the mm-hmm. world. Um, but obviously you've been there since such a long time that you've seen the process, the systems change in a mm-hmm. way for the better, and then, you know, it's all down to funding too, right? you, you got to get the funding for it. Before. <laughs> we, you know, yes. if you wait for the state, you understand yes that, right? Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just interested to know kind of like the path of that and, and you know... How what's led you to where you are today mm-hmm. and, and the impact that you've had. It's I'm yeah. sure it's super fascinating.
0: Well, it, it has been fascinating. I think, you know, thinking back over the, the 15 years, really looking at the growth that has taken place with the Department of Mental Health has been extremely huge. Um, I think that um, the fact that now we're in a position here in the state of Oklahoma where anyone that's dealing with a psychiatric emergency or in a situation where they need help now can call one number, one line, three digits, mm-hmm. 988, 988 And I hope people remember that number because anytime you're in a situation where you want help uh, for a loved one, a friend or family, to be able to call that number and get help immediately is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, you know, when I think back over the the years um, I came into the system, and of course, you know, when I started, um, I was a therapeutic foster mom, uh, really working, really um, living my life in a way where I was giving back to kids who didn't have parents at the time. So I came into the system as a therapeutic foster mom, and, and, and definitely. Um, a challenge, so I can understand parents today or foster parents today who are dealing with kids who have problematic behaviors. And so, as a foster parent, um, coming into the system and looking at the system from the lens of a parent uh, was really important for me and has been extremely important as my career because mm-hmm. I've really worked to build a system for ch- children, youth, and families, for parents, for caregivers, um, so that, you know parents and caregivers can get the help that they need and get the help that they need now mm-hmm. and um, I think you know thinking back in our design is kind of like you know as a parent if I need if I wanted help now and I needed a medical help I can go to an emergency room and feel like I can get the help that I want and so I wanted a system where well, when parents had psychiatric emergencies for their kids they mm-hmm. can get the help that they needed now and so um, the department we started our um, building our continuum of care, really looking at kids that were higher, you know, kids that were higher needs, kids that were at risk for out-of-home placement, kids that were at risk for being hospitalized. And so we built a system called a system of care in order to support uh, those children and families um, anywhere in the state of Oklahoma. We started with two two county sites, a rural and a metro mm-hmm. uh, site, really building services and supports for families that were high need. That spread like wildfire, and we were able to get support from our legislator in order to expand that statewide. So currently right now, we have a system secure in place that provides wraparound services. And the wraparound is just like it says, they wrap services around children and families Mm -hmm. in order to support the psychiatric needs that these kids have. And so building that platform where we have the availability of these services supports statewide was extremely important. Mm -hmm. As we navigated through that, different initiatives came along, and of course, like you said, different funding, uh, which allowed us to build additional supports like peer supports. Um, Peer supports are services that speak to the caregiver and a parent in a way Mm -hmm. when they're going through different challenges. They have somebody who has had those types of experience and can speak to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think those are extremely important because there's nothing like being in a situation where you don't have the resources, the support that you need in order to address an issue that's really going on with your with your young person or your child or your kid. And so building a peer support system was also extremely important. Uh, we continue to leverage different funding opportunities um, in order to build services for kids that were ages zero, to five, which is our early infant mental health services. We were able to build services for kids we consider to be SED, severely emotional and disturbed. Services for kids that were 16 to 25 that were, you know, maybe had diagnosable mental illness. Mm-hmm that was having challenges with transitioning in life and transitioning to adulthood. We were fortunate to build services that were services that supports not only schools, but kids that were having problems in school systems, as well as um, really leveraging Opportunities to partner with agencies like the Office of Juvenile Affairs and the Department of Mental Health. I'm sorry, the Department of Human Services. Um, what we know is uh, kids that are young people who are involved in both of those systems have much higher challenges than the average or their overall population. So, building partnerships that created opportunities for those young people to receive services support that they needed yeah. to to meet the needs that they have. So, we really worked extremely hard to build a service system here in the state of Oklahoma um, that would meet the needs of children, youth, and families. And maybe about, probably about three ago, is really when we launched and when we had an opportunity um, to really design and develop and move forward with the implementation plan for our children's mobile response and stabilization. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was... (laughs) um, an extremely um, important partnership with other other agencies, uh, child-serving agencies here in the state, to really look at what did that system need to look like for the state of Oklahoma. Ultimately, our vision was that any child in the state of Oklahoma would have access to an immediate face-to-face um, response, from a mental health professional who was able to work with the child and the family in order to begin and move in the direction to address their behavioral health needs. To begin to dissolve or decrease the symptoms of the crisis in order to move the family in a position of stability and stabilization. So that's kind of how this all started. And so this was not something that we started a couple years ago. This has been a, a journey that we've been on. And I think our our vision was on the end result. We want to be able to meet the needs of Oklahomans. We wanna be able to, first and foremost, a crisis system is designed to save lives. Um, And so that was really an important part, but we needed the support system, the foundation in place to be able to do that. And so today we're in a critical, unique, and probably the best um, thing that has happened in a long time is this 988. Now, they don't have to remember a 1-800 number. Now, it doesn't matter if your young person is living with grandma and grandpa or if they're staying with Aunt Mary down the street or they're way... You know, of course, it takes about four hours to drive across the state of Oklahoma, (laughs) unlike some of these small states. But if they're in in a family member's house, um, we all know the the number, 988. And so, you know, we don't have to remember this long 1-800 number. So that is... I mean, that is, that is exciting. Yeah. That is exciting.
1: Well, and to that point too, like, you know, with, with the kind of like your, your ties to the rural community through your grandparents and going to that, there's a lot of, you know, I think Carrie was on previous podcast, talked about it too, because she was, part of the rural and that was kind of where she did her thing was the kind of stigma is bigger Mm -hmm. in rural communities right because the town the towns are smaller everyone knows everybody you know and you don't really want to have a a wide open space in a you know at a you know at a strip mall or whatever that's for mental health because everyone's can see you going everyone knows what car you (laughs) driving. that is true and then people start gossiping it gets worse right and that sadly that works against anyone Mm -hmm. but now Mm -hmm. you can discreetly call this number have a conversation, and then meet face-to-face. And, and also back to the kids' set of things, you know, if someone's a parent, right, it's it's very hard if without this system in place to try and deal, you know, if, if you've got multiple kids and you've got a job and you you know you might be stressed about work or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and then you come home to a kid who you don't really... You're not a professional at this Absolutely. thing. You don't know how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just throw him some pills or hear some pills and, like, knock Absolutely. him out for a little bit. You can now, like... So um, no doubt you've saved some marriages, Absolutely, absolutely. Marriages, friendships, and relationships. Because I think
0: that, you know, we hear from parents about the challenges of raising a child who has a... Uh, a mental illness. And so, uh, again, we hear those stories time and time again, but to to have partners out there and people out there, professionals out there that are willing to work alongside those parents and help them to gain not just the knowledge but the skills to be able to address that and for them to know that that's what we're here for. We're yeah. here to,
1: to help and support them. Well, and the other thing I just kind of came to mind too is that now that you have a legit, proper, really cool foundation and a system in place, it makes people want to come to work every day, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm sure there's been times, you know, over the, the the period that you've been in this in this area, is you might feel like you're banging your head against the wall, mm-hmm. right? You're like I'm working so hard, but I'm not getting through to people. Yes. But now, because that foundation is there. You know that every day you come to work, you're making a difference, right? And that goes such a long way through everyone in your team knows that, Mm -hmm. you know. And then you you collectively work harder, Mm -hmm. and you're more you know enthusiastic about coming to work, and Mm -hmm. you know you you get into the you know when when people work for the state, they don't work at the state for to make to be a millionaire, right? (laughs) They do it. They do it to make a difference. (laughs) Absolutely. And, And so when that when that difference is is not there, then. They might go do somewhere mm-hmm. else. But I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen also probably, you know, employee retention has gone up as well <laughs> because you guys are doing it the right way. And, right. you know, uh, to be a resource to someone, Absolutely. especially a kid that says, hey, you, it doesn't matter where you are in the state. Mm-hmm. Like, we can have a face-to-face conversation with someone who's trained for this. Yes, yes. And I
0: think that's a um, a really important thing to mention. Most people who come to work and do this type of work, they're here because their heart is in it. These mm-hmm. people care um, these people um, are not necessary. well, I guess we all have to do it because we got to pay the bills. Well, but sure. yeah. I think the most important thing is they, they care about the population. They care about the people we serve. And I think the, the, what makes the difference for those of us that work on the front line and those of us who work to help people or to make people's lives better every day. What makes a difference in this is the access. And what I mean the access is oftentimes when you're in rural spaces, when you're in communities, you don't necessarily know who to call. Right. And this kind of really creates an opportunity of access. Because if you call this number, and say, for instance, you call this number and, you know, you need help. Because what we have to understand is what I consider to be a crisis for me as a parent mm-hmm may look different from parent to parent. And if I feel like I'm in crisis and I call this 988 number, I know that that number will give me access to what it is that I need, give me access to the support, the resources, the treatment provider, the trained person that's going to walk me through the process. And so for me as the director, that is, that's a huge win for us in the state of Oklahoma, yeah. a huge win.
1: Well, and the other thing, too, is you know, some people might, you know, if they're unaware of this this, uh, this foundation, unaware of this service, anytime you mention something medical, they think, oh, it's going to be expensive, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. medical stuff is not cheap out here. Right, it's not at all. <laughs> you know, all. it's not cheap anyway. <laughs> uh, but when you talk about the state service and, you know, it's being provided like that. You know, there's no reason not to call. There's no reason right? not to call. Just making sure that they know what that number Absolutely. is. Absolutely, we won't send you a bill. Yeah, mm-hmm. and be there and so so for people listening then who generally like how does that process work? If if for example someone is has you know a kid and, and they're having a bit of a you know not, not doing very well having they have a situation, you get a phone call. Mm-hmm. You go out there. What's the process of, of taking, you know, through so, that and how that works out with the families?
0: Yeah, so the, so the first thing is really making a call. When a parent decides that they need help, they make the call or a caregiver or whoever. They make the call. There's going to be a live person that comes on. This person is live, skilled, has mental health expertise to get some specific information about what's really going on. Give me, give me an idea of what's going on. And they're going to ask questions, all right? Do, you know, do you want someone to come out now? Is this, you know, do, would you like a face-to-face now? Uh, would you like to set up an appointment? What, What is your preference? Um, and I like to... to you know, it's kind of like someone to talk to from a parent specific. This is what I'm dealing with. And this is how I want it to be handled in a sense. Right now, I need help now. And when they say we I need help now, um, the the call attendant is putting information in our electronic data system in real time for our providers. Currently, right now in the state of Oklahoma, we have approximately 24 providers statewide. They're covered in some cases multiple counties, because mm-hmm. they have offices in different um, counties. And that's our, you know, our, our true children's contract providers throughout the state. And so what that call center does is they put real-time information in the data system. And so when they connect to the actual provider who's responsible for the uh, the response, that provider comes in real-time. They do what we call a warm handoff and connect the actual um, caller to the actual response team and give them an opportunity to to exchange information, maybe a little bit more detail. We look at information such as safety. Are there any dogs in the home? Mm -hmm. Are there any weapons? Um, Is there things that we need to be concerned about? What is the problem behavior? Are we looking at a suicide? Mm -hmm. Um, So they get information from the actual call center. I mean, the person who's calling. The actual provider that's responding will have this information, and before... The actual call center completely transitions that call. They ask the actual caller, is it okay if I drop? Do you have the information about the, the agency that's going to be responding? Um, is there any additional information that we need from you that will be helpful in this response? Our expectation is that our, our um, mobile response teams are um, face-to-face with the child and family within one hour. Being rural Oklahoma, sometimes yeah. it takes anywhere. Um, it can take up to an hour. Um, in most cases, the parents are not available at that time because you, what you have to understand, sometimes parents call in crisis in their work. And something happened the night before, and they just didn't know how to handle it. But to them, it is a crisis. And so oftentimes, we'll do what we call deferred, where we actually will see the child and family within 24 hours. But our immediate response is to get to that child and family within one hour. Yeah. So the actual professional, mental health professional, goes out and meets the child and family in the home in order to begin to assess and determine what's taking place and how do we get this resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, our goal is to keep the family family stable, at home, in the community to the best that we can, Uh, but sometimes we know that is not at all possible, so we look for other options, uh, such as higher levels of care and acute hospitalization, when in fact that is a need. But our ultimate goal is to really respond, to provide the assistance, and to maintain those kids and families in their home and in their community.
1: Yeah. Is there, you know, with with the, with the and I know you said, you know, everybody's crisis is different. No. Are there common ones? Obviously ones <laughs> you get more than others. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's unfortunate, but suicide is very much mm. a common one for kids. Uh, we get a number of calls where our young people are in crisis and they're, whether they're talking about, whether they plan, mm. uh, or they have a desire, and it's that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. Um, the great thing about that is when, in fact, our mobile response providers are able to get to, to those types of calls before any type of, you know, harm or safety issue is in place. We're able to get in quickly. We're able to diffuse. We're able to assist the young people uh, and keep them stable Um, um in their community, or sometimes get them to higher levels where they can get the help that they need.
1: Yeah, is there is, is there a main kind of cause? Is it social media based? Is it kind of school? Like, is there? Because that, that's the tough thing, right? Is when mm-hmm. all you know, every, kids are getting younger and younger with access to social media and all these platforms, and you know, as you know, most parents, with people listening, like, yeah, there's multiple times I've just mm-hmm. given my kid my phone to do whatever because to keep them happy or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like, Absolutely. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but There are, you know, sadly, there are bad people out there, and there are people who have access, Mm -hmm. you know, through social media to kids who are very young and very, you know, minds are a lot more moldable when Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. seven years old than you are if you're 17, right? Absolutely. Um, I'm just curious to see if that with a rise in technology and then kids getting younger being on technology, is there a kind of correlation with that or not?
0: Well, Mike, that's the tough one because we see a range of things. I mean, yeah. depending on the age group, I think that when we look at um, younger younger kids, we often see um, episodes of depression, yeah. um, maybe in some cases due to trauma, loss of a loved one, um, the separation or divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as we get older into the teens, peers become a major factor, and we see things like bullying. We see other, th- you know, mm-hmm. and other things to take place. And as kids get um, on up in, into age, uh, it's really that transition to adulthood and how you know life gets a little tougher. You know, COVID was a huge thing for our young people. Um, we've seen an, an increase in calls once um, <clears throat> COVID started to kids started to go back to school and the. Isolation of not being able to touch, hug, or, or connect with your friends in the same way was definitely a tough thing for a tough thing for for some of our young people. So we we definitely see um, a range in reference to kids zero up to the age of 25. Yeah. Uh, but um, for the most part, it's just really severe areas of depression um, that has existed for yeah. some time, and so. Are
1: there any kind of general? Action items that you kind of tell that are more common to tell parents and other people that you know to deal with stuff like this, or is it just very case based?
0: You know, when it when it comes to mental health, I think that that oftentimes uh, when parents start seeing their young people start to isolate, when we start seeing grades start to drop, mm-hmm. uh, when we see situations where um, their mood and their affect may be changing, uh, oftentimes uh, parents kind of. Uh, you know, right now, you know, in our state, we are a big state where, um, you know, legalization of marijuana is huge. And oftentimes yeah. our young people get a hold of some of those. So when you begin to notice any changes mm. um, that, you know, maybe exist for, for quite some time or say, for instance, you're aware of an experience where your kid has had a traumatic loss or been, been in some incident uh, of trauma I think that those are things to be aware of and and it's like anything else you know when you when you're not feeling good your throat gets a little scratchy or you have a severe pain in your heart you, you go get help you go see your doctor your primary care you yeah. go and I think it's the same for for um, for when we we talk about behavioral health, we always used to say a checkup from the neck up. There's nothing wrong with reaching out and saying, <laughs> hey, yeah. you know, um, there's something going on with my kid. I'm not quite sure what it is. Yeah. Um, and so we lean more side on the preventative side, getting in early, figuring out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that young person can have a much more, much, much more successful mm-hmm. outcome.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's some sense of kind of... Um, I think families and parents are prideful, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to be the reason that their parent, mm-hmm. their kid is having issues. So that you know, getting over for them to get over that and make the phone call is hard to yes. begin with. Yes, you know, but you've got to tackle that. You know, that must be you know. absolutely. That that is definitely
0: um, a tough. I think you know, as parents, we do the best that we can, mm-hmm. and sometimes the best that we can, we all make mistakes and we say things and do things that sure. um, over time. And and so what I would say. Um, to a parent, I think that we have to really get, you know, we have to um, step aside our own personal feelings and egos about what's getting ready to take place in order to save our kids. And so we have to give more of ourselves. Maybe it means calling 988 to say, you know, hey, I need help. We need help now. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding, we'll, we'll work through that with you. You know, and when we have people, we have other parents, we have family support providers that have been parents and raised kids with uh, mental illness who can assist those types of parents in order to understand, you know, what's, you know, taking place and how uh, they can support them along the way. And so I would say, you know, make the call. We we have people that can support and help you.
1: Yeah, and and you know, like back to more funding, you can hire more people hey, and cover more hey, ground, right? And get hey, someone I, I t- preaching you know, the choir right pre- now, you, and I, I'm <laughs> pre- preaching to the-
0: you know, Mike. I, you know, I think that we are definitely in a good, you know, we're in a good space, a good place in the state of Oklahoma when it comes to. The implementation of this 988 crisis system i think oklahoma is leading the nation i can tell you that the children's mobile response and stabilization system is known nationally for one of the best systems in the nation and so i'm excited about that and i and i again look to the people on our front lines every day and i say thank you but we still have a ways to go and i think that as we continue to build out this crisis tenure, and it's unfortunate. It's going to take money. Yeah. It's going to take money and an investment of people's time in order to build out the right system that we mm-hmm. need. There's other things that we're thinking about and that we're working towards in order to do that. But so, Mike, if you just happen to have some money laying around, yeah. I mean, hey, we can always you can always picture our way. Yeah. Wave that magic wand, right? <laughs> wave it, wave that, it.
1: Win that Powerball or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But what what better way? Yeah. To Utilize funding than to save lives. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone listening and everyone who, who you meet on the street knows someone who's mm-hmm. either gone through something like that Absolutely. or has been, you know, or has harmed themselves. I mean, you know, there, there's there, my high school back home. We went through a really dark phase in, in my high school, and, and you know, all you've got to do is Google my high school and you'll see it all. And it mm-hmm. was terrible. Wow. You know, and and it came out of nowhere, kind of thing, right? It happened so fast, mm. uh, you know. And none of us were any very. No one was aware of it, and this right. was, you know, this is. I don't know. I am trying to think how old I am. <laughs> this is fifteen years ago. Um, but still, you know it. It's 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 really heartbreaking when it's too late. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, and and the the great stuff that you guys are doing is you are. You know, you're you're tackling this stuff at an infant age, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, it, 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 you know, you, I'm sure there's going to be a time where someone's going to come up to you, you know, and they're they're a grown man or grown woman, and they have a career, and they they see you in wherever, and, you know, Miss Meek, and they come over, and they mm-hmm. tell you, and maybe you've had this already, and they say, you know, you, not only did you save my parents' marriage, um, uh, but you saved my life, and now I'm a successful this, and I've gone on to change. Because of what you've done, I've gone on to do better. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. You know?
1: And that's, that's how yeah, it starts.
0: It, it really is. And and that's why I say it's, for me, every call is a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back when we started a line, I would be, I would do robocalls where I would call in and check to make sure there was somebody answering. And I would, mm-hmm. you know do a fake scenario and then get to a point and say, hey, this is who I am. So I personally invested my time early on to do that because I wanted to make sure that if anyone called that line, they would get the type of response that they needed to get help now. And so that was important. I think that you, you make a, a really important um, mentioning. I think that people, when you lose a loved one, it just doesn't necessarily affect a family there's a spiral effect. Mm-hmm. When a young, long one, loved one affects the family, there's friends, there's a community, and multiple community, whether it's the faith-based community or other communities that you're connected to that have supported you. And so for, for us, we just don't want our communities, our people to have those experiences of you know, maybe a suicide or anything, because mm-hmm. that is definitely a tough tragedy each other
1: yeah because yeah, like you said it, it's not just that person that's gone right it's mm-hmm. that every it's the, the the like you said the the ripple effect of everyone around them that absolutely that has to deal with that and and it's it's awful right because you know it's not like someone has passed they were sick you mm-hmm. know this is just how that's just how the world works mm-hmm. right it's it's <laughs> someone who you know has gone through and an, something that they they didn't feel like they could talk to you about yes. it and that's what hurts right yes. it's the fact that like you know, we're all, you, you're surrounded by amazing people. Why don't you feel like you could? That it hurts more yes. knowing that I didn't do enough for mm-hmm. that person to make me feel, you know, that for me to make them feel safe to come to me to talk Absolutely. about something. And that's, it's that's heartbreaking. A, that's a very
0: heartbreaking feeling to have. And, and you know, um, and the questioning of yourself about mm-hmm. how that took place or how you allowed how did I allow it to happen? How do you know, yeah. and that's that's a tough thing. And so, you know, we often, um, again, we we often tell people, like I said, when things change or the awareness or somebody's talking about it, thinking about it, or contemplating, you know, there's there's help. And so the the quicker you can get to To the nine, then you can get to the eight, 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 and we can get there a little bit quicker and so uh, faster in order to to respond. And so, you know, we don't want that to happen because it it does have a rippling effect even long after the person is gone.
1: Yeah, and now that, like I said, now that this number is available and there's people on the other end who are waiting for you to make mm-hmm. a phone call, right? Yes. It's not like every other call center. Yes. that they're, they're like, sorry, I'm not in your country. I can't help you. They are waiting for you. Yes. And how, you know They're sad. They're on purpose saying, today I'm going to change some lives and I'm Absolutely. waiting for my phone to ring. Please ring me because mm-hmm. I can help you.
0: Yes, you know? and, and you won't have to get on and listen to some automated <laughs> recording, right. uh, press one, press yeah. seven, press nine, and then yeah. still wait. Yeah. You know, our nine eight eight call center are they're pretty they're pretty quick. Yeah. You call, they answer, and so. Um and that's really important because yeah. oftentimes, I mean, think about how many times you've hung up on a recording because you're trying to pay a, oh, yeah. a a bill or you're
1: trying to get to, it's right. pretty tough. so Yeah, it, it's it's the last thing people want to do is make that phone call. Right, right? If you're you know in crisis. To, to, mm-hmm. Yeah, but if, like I said, if you're in crisis, then this mm-hmm. is the easiest way for you to get help. Yes. It's very discreet. No one else has to know in your family. No one in your immediate circle has to know. You make that phone call right. and someone can come meet you. Absolutely. And someone comes out, they're not going to come out you know dressed like a police officer <laughs> So, right? <laughs> not at They're all. coming out in plain clothes. You might, they might just see you having a coffee with somebody. Yes, absolutely. You know, Our response discreet. teams are
0: um, mental health professionals who uh, will not come out in uniform. No. They'll come out in um, regular civilian clothes in a way uh, where they're extending their hand mm. to help. That's yeah. what they're trying to do.
1: Well, I want to thank you for everything you do uh, thank you for the care that you take in and the pride you take in your job you know just by telling telling us that you know you're you you are you pretend to be someone else and to make those phone <laughs> calls to, to, to you know to make sure that your team is doing the right job um, you know that, that that says a lot but also you know it, it's not like you've just kind of been doing this for six months like you mm-hmm. have been you spend your life doing this yes. it says a lot about who you are and the impact that you want to have Um so I want to thank you for coming down. Uh, for people listening, I'll put the link, you know, to the website. But the main thing, it's just that number, you yes. know. Absolutely,
0: 988. Nine eight eight. Yeah. We can't uh, see it enough. Yeah. 988. 988 eight save lives.
1: And you'll see it everywhere. It's on bus stops. Mm-hmm. It's on social media. You know, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's so simple. It's just a number. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just, it, you know, like I said, if you're a parent, you know, don't feel bad about making this number, right? Absolutely. You know, you're gonna help you and your situation and, and the lives around you too. So, uh, I want to thank you for coming down. I uh, really appreciate it, and I do hope that you spend more time on a horse and going to rodeos. And uh, now that I have, you know, your contact information, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up when there's when these when these rodeos absolutely. start again because I need to come down and see this stuff. Absolutely, so, come absolutely. on down. I will definitely do that. We'll thank you so much. I appreciate it. For everyone listening, I'll post the link to the website in the description. But just remember, it's just a number. amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state, and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma, and without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And finally, our third sponsor for today, the Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline. 988 is the direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with the trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988Oklahoma.com.